Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. In this episode, Brian and I abandoned our families to take a road trip to wine country. And since you don't drink, Brian, you've been the designated driver. And let me just say, you've been doing a great job. Thank you so much. So much. Am I the designated driver in all respects in this whole podcast? I think that's why I invited you on this trip. Oh, very yeah. Good. <laughs> in 2004, the nominees for Best Picture were Ray. Finding Neverland, Million Dollar Baby, The Aviator, and today's movie, Sideways, directed by Alexander Payne. Here's the trailer. Let me show you how this is done. Hold the glass up and examine the wine against the light. You're looking for color and clarity. Now, stick your nose in it. Maybe some strawberry. Oh, there's just a flutter of like a, like a nutty Edom cheese. When do we drink it now? Mmm. Are you chewing gum? No. Spit it out. Get married on Saturday. Here's my last week of freedom. We're gonna play some golf, eat some great food, and we're gonna send you off in style. It's gonna be great. These girls want to party with us. If they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any Merlot! Yeah. Tonight we are celebrating Miles' book deal, published oh, author. Oh, what's the title? The Day After Yesterday. Oh. You mean today? Um... Yeah. Why did you tell them that my novel was being published? You have been officially depressed for like two years now. We're gonna go have some fun, Miles. Do you remember fun? If a woman finds out how I live, that I'm not a published author, any interest she has is gonna evaporate real quick. You guys should stay for the weekend. No, we have to get back for the rehearsal dinner. What rehearsal dinner? All I can say is that my life is oh. pretty plain. No. Just now I could have told you some story, but I didn't. I told you the truth. I spent three years trying to extricate myself from a relationship that was full of deception. I am not Jack. Love Blind Melon. That whole album is amazing. Yeah, it's a uh, good trailer too. The music is totally wrong for the uh, movie, but it works. For you think that song is well, wrong for? Well, I mean, all the music throughout is totally different from the tone of the movie. I mean, the movie has a lot of like jazz and stuff like that. In it, so. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little jaunty <laughs> in the music, a little, a little road trippy, a little too much. Yeah, <clears throat> but I do. Um, I, I just realized that a lie in a movie is often used as a crime to set up suspense like you, you you know who'd committed the crime and then later on you find out who created, mm. who did it so often the the tension in this movie is mostly around the lies there's and, a lot of them and how they're going to be eventually unfolded so kind of yeah. interesting um this movie was quite highly critically acclaimed um 
It got 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and a, and a 94 on Metacritic, which is a rare busting into the 90s. That means people didn't just say, yeah, thumbs up. They gave it like a 9 out of 10, yeah, yeah, which is pretty impressive. It, was, um, it won the Best Adapted Screenplay, Alexander Payne and Jim Taylor, and it was nominated for Directing, Supporting Actress, Virginia Madsen, it was nominated for Supporting Actor, Thomas Hayden Church, and then, of course, for Best Picture. It, um, Paul Giamatti was not nominated for Best Actor, which a snub. I, I think is kind of interesting. Jamie Foxx won. Don Cheadle was nominated for Hotel Rwanda. Johnny Depp, Finding Neverland. DiCaprio, The Aviator, and Clint Eastwood. Million Dollar Baby, so it'd be interesting if we, you know, decide to kick, change that. kick anybody at the end yeah. of uh, the 2004 episode. Um it did win the Outstanding Performance by a Cast for the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and Giamatti was included in that, of course. Roger Ebert put it as the number eight movie of the year, Peter Travers' number one movie of the year, okay. and it was the AFI movie of the year as well. $16 million budget. <clears throat> I love it. $110 million box office. That's huge. Smooth. It got a B on cinema score, though. Coming up in the show, we have our Farley Awards for the most awesome moment, our golden takes. We'll ask each other then one question designed to dump the wine spit bowl of truth onto the face of ignorance. Yuck. We will <laughs> imagine what might have been, talk trivia, and the big reveal, keep it or kick it. But first, our best moment or the movie, or in my case, best moments, of Brian. You have know. you ever given one moment? <laughs> I don't think so. We should just say the Farleys for the most awesome moments. Maybe we should. Let's change the name nah. so that I don't have to feel like I'm cheating nah, every week. I like that you're cheating every time. So I'm going to go with many moments here because I feel like the best moments, the best thing about this movie is the details, all the subtlety that we get, the little surprises that teach us about these characters mm -hmm. and kind of change the way that we see them from that point on. Like in the opening scene, right off the bat, we understand who Miles is because he's running late. Still takes his sweet time, stops for coffee. Lies at the corner. about it to he everybody. He lies about it to everyone <laughs> shamelessly. Or later, how he fills out his mom's birthday card while walking up to her front door. I love that moment. It's such a small thing, but such a smart thing, too. And there are Is so that many. a smart thing to do? A smart, or you mean smart movie making? I think wise. it's both. I think it <laughs> saves you time. You don't have to do it at all. <laughs> Double up, you know, be efficient. But also with Jack, there are so many. How he opens up the bottle of wine in the car. Jack, who is played by Thomas Aiden Church. Yes, just casual drinking and driving. No big deal. The movie draws no attention to it, but we sort of understand what that means. Or how he waits until they're just out of view of his family to yell at Miles for being late. So just from that moment, we understand, okay, this guy's a little bit deceptive, maybe a little two-faced. Mm -hmm. And I could have picked a flashier moment like the monologues that Giamatti and Madsen exchange. I think that's kind of a big... That's my Farley word, so you know, don't, don't criticize it too much. Uh, I, well, I'm not criticizing. Being overly obvious. I, I mean, it is, I think, the big <laughs> emotional moment yeah. of the movie. Mm -hmm. And so it deserves to get that sort of recognition. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to give a little bit of credit to these really small moments that we probably wouldn't have picked as a best moment, but I think there are so many of them in this movie that it warrants kind of bundling them up and drawing a little extra attention to it. I think though that exactly what you're saying is really why it does deserve such praise for the writing. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, you can have one flashy moment yeah. um, like this one that I'm about to talk about with the um, with, with the wine description. Why they, they love wine. They yeah. both sort of share it's their totally, experience and their perspectives. Yeah, that's when you really understand like who these characters 
are in yes. their best way. Mm-hmm. But understanding the whole picture is very clever little moments throughout. Yeah, I agree. So clever <laughs> moments of dialogue, character, and the performances. Yeah. It's all. It's there's just so many small things in this movie that I loved watching it. And it was. It's the kind of stuff that it's a nerdy thing, but it's like every time this happens in a movie, I'm like, okay, so this is what I love about movies right here. Mm-hmm. When the world feels so lived in and yep. almost in ways that don't feel like you should love them that much. But I guess when there's this many of them, it just feels so authentic and you just want to spend more time in the world. The last one I'll mention is when they get into the car and Jack is yelling at Miles and Miles is lying about it. Jack sees right through it and he says, come on, you're hungover. You know that you are. And Miles says, yes, there was a tasting last night. And just that small word choice there to kind of reframe the Mm -hmm. fact that he drinks too much. It's so good. I love stuff like that in this moment. This movie is full of them. Right on. <clears throat> uh, with this moment, it's probably, I guess it's about two thirds into the movie where Miles and Virginia Madsen's character are describing their love of wine, the grapes, their appreciation. And it's kind of just an example where the more you know about something, and it could be anything, and you, you it's just kind of like the richness of being human being, you mm-hmm. know, and you, you understand, the more you understand about it, the more you can appreciate it and admire something for the little details. So um, Miles, played by Paul Giamatti, describes his love of wine, and it's so great. I brought a clip from this, if you you want to play this. I brought it just in case, because I thought this moment was going to come up. I don't remember if I sent this clip also, but I don't think I I got you covered. Don't worry. Very good. Why are you so into Pinot? (laughs) I mean, it's like a thing with you. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um... It's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? It's, uh, it's thin skin, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. Nah, Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. And, and only the most patient and nurturing of growers can do it, really. Only somebody really takes the time to understand Pino's potential can then coax it into its fullest expression. And then, I mean, oh, it's flavors. They're just the most haunting and brilliant and thrilling and subtle and ancient on the planet best adjectives ever haunting and ancient as taste you know something it's it's great i love it um maya then goes on to say this which is i kind of trimmed down what she was saying um for some highlights but she says she loves uh wine because it's a living thing Mm -hmm. i like to think about she says i like to think about what was going on the year the grapes were growing how the sun was shining if it rained I like to think about all the people who tended and picked the grapes. And if it's an old wine, how many of them must be dead by now? I like how wine is constantly evolving and gaining complexity. That is, until it peaks, and then it begins its steady, inevitable decline. So these are these are kind of the, the show-off moments of the writing, yep. but, but they feel authentic in the movie. I mean, you kind of know, okay, this is the show-off moment. But, mm-hmm. but, but the, the writing is creative enough, and those surprises are... 
um, are delivered. So, And it sells a little bit more the fact um, of their connection. Why yes. would Virginia Madsen fall for a guy like this? And you need that bridge, you know? Yes. And yeah, the fact that they both are that obsessed with it. Exactly. Is, is, a, is a character um, and a relationship. He's not only moment. impressed by the fact that she knows so much about it, but it gives them common ground. And otherwise, mm-hmm. he wouldn't be able to relate to her. And then since that door is open, that kind of gives them the chance to connect. I don't know. I give Paul Giamatti, you know, he, he's a pretty good looking guy. <laughs> Yeah, he's really chipper in this mo- in this movie. Like, <laughs> you want to spend the whole weekend with him? All right, Golden Takes. What's your Golden Take, Mike? So wine and winemaking is pretty fascinating, I think. And part of the fun of this movie is feeling like you're learning something. It's one of the, I mean, yeah. in monologues like that, but also when Paul Giamatti is teaching Thomas Hayden Church how to not only drink wine, but to smell it, how to appreciate it, how to understand what Asparagus, it's all about. Asparagus, nutty, right? <laughs> yeah, and a flutter of Edom <laughs> cheese. Uh, but in fact, people were so convinced that they learned something from this movie in 2004 that it changed the wine industry. Mm-hmm. So according to an NPR story called The Sideways Effect, how a wine-obsessed film reshaped the industry, as of 2017, Pinot Noir production in California increased roughly, get ready for this, 170% (laughs) in 13 years from this movie, 170%, and a decline in Merlot sales of about 2% from just after the release through 2008 was also noted. During that time period, Pinot sales increased 16%. So the growing increased 170, the sales increased 16. And I just love the fact that casual wine drinkers would watch this movie be like, well, these guys definitely know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. I'm never drinking Merlot I mean, it can't, <laughs> it's not fictional. No, it can't be. Gotta I mean, be they true. know a lot. They're talking about real things, mm-hmm. so I must follow these opinions. Yep. But Brian, that was my golden nugget. No, you that's want, your golden Do you take. want to hear my golden take? Sure. <laughs> my golden take <laughs> is that Paul Giamatti should have won, or should have at least been nominated yeah. for Best Actor, if only for his performance when he finds out about his ex-wife, yep. Vicky, um, being pregnant and then he has the taxi driver uh, at the phone moment the taxi driver yeah, at the phone really. i was thinking of the taxi driver oh taxi the movie driver. taxi the movie. driver yeah. oh okay um no 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 but a memorable payphone moment that made me think of not, not that the the camera work is also you know in, it's a little creative. blurry yeah, it's, it's, it's in, too close up in that scene yeah. i really do like that camera work too but i just think his performance in this it's just so subtle and so good and i did bring a clip of this also and i think that a lot of the performance is in his face in mm-hmm. this but i just i just love how he plays this this moment so i just want to hear it well uh what do you say we get the reception have some champagne toast and noodle huh? not me I'm, I'm not drinking you quit drinking Really? <laughs> I'm pregnant. I see. Yes, I see. Great. Well, congratulations again, Vicky. Boy, that's wonderful news. Yeah, I thought you meant when when he first called her when he found out that he that no, she was married because no. that's also a really brilliant scene. It's a good when they're one. out to dinner. It's a good one. This one, he's he's more controlled and he's doing that thing that I love in performances sometimes when the top half of an actor's face and the bottom half of their face are doing total opposite mm. things. You know, he's got a smile, but his eyes are about to break. Yep. And Giamatti was robbed. Give the guy a best act, best mm. actor Oscar nomination. Yep. Free Giamatti. He was very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So my golden take <clears throat> is that the more of a loser the hero is 
the more realistic a happy ending can be. Hmm. Because the hero's fortunes don't have to improve all that much for it to be happy. Okay. Um, okay. So heroes are the heroes are flawed but passionate in this movie. And everything in the movie is about bad things happening and bad choices. But at the very end you see this slight uptick. And so the ending is sort of satisfying without being kind of like um cheap or too tidy. Do you think that he deserves the redemption that he gets at the end? Um, well, I think that even is a liar uh, throughout, it really wasn't him, his fault that Thomas Hayden Church was being so deceitful to Virginia Madsen's friends. So I guess I wouldn't, I don't blame him as much as I do Thomas Hayden Church for how badly that whole weekend went. He's but, an enabler, though, and he, he, he doesn't push back that hard. And I think and that they've he, got into a dynamic where yeah. they both sort of know, I'm going to say, no, 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 you're going to push, I'm going to go along with you. And that's yeah. and that's our back and forth. I do agree that he is a pretty despicable you know, character in, in most ways. Yeah. But again, a little bit of redemption. We're not talking about a ton of redemption that mm-hmm. happens. He doesn't get the movie. He doesn't get the book published. Um, we don't really know how this relationship is going to go, although... It's pretty. It's you know a pretty good indication. Yeah, that, it's a hopeful. But ending. but you get the feeling like that connection that they had was pretty legitimate yeah. around the wine. So, um, I I I think of this as the Little Miss Sunshine rule of plot making because that was the first time I kind of saw that this happened where it's basically one cascading horrible thing after another happens in that movie as well. The ending is slightly more optimistic, but still bad. But because it's just that slightly optimistic thing, it's like a hockey stick, you know, it's going mm-hmm. mostly down, tiny bit up, and then we end. Um, I think that that's one way that movies have tried to um, be ha- basically be uplifting and happy at the end without, you know, being... Without saving the world, yeah, fixing every problem. Without being like stereotype or whatever. And there's some yeah. people who are listening to this, um, and I have, you know, friends and family who think that I only like you know, rotten, horrible endings <laughs> in movies. <clears throat> but um, Paul Giamatti's character is like the loser hero, you know? And I think that that's, um, I think he works really well in the movie. So questions. Time for questions. Yes. Um, I'll go first. Okay. So piggybacking off this idea that Pino sold so well, Merlot <laughs> dropped, um, I have a question for you. If, have you ever bought something because he was in a movie? Have you ever been sure I have. sort of tricked into loving something because of product placement? Um, I once asked for a Patrick Bateman, like <laughs> two foot tall figurine <laughs> for Christmas and got it and had it in my room for a very long time. He's really? got an ax. You can take the ax out of his hands very and put nice. in a knife. I actually just watched the <laughs> business card scene with my wife the other day it's to show so her she hasn't seen the movie. Uh, so here's a few examples of product placement okay. in movie history. I looked it up and found a few blogs that kind of gave lists. So I kind of- yeah, That's funny because I didn't really think of this movie as- not, not necessarily. Placement. I mean, it's a type of wine. It's not a brand or something, but yeah. But yeah. Um, apparently Heineken paid $45 million to be in the James Bond, more recent James Bond mm, movies. Okay. You know, it's usually shaken, not stirred yeah, James yeah. Bond, but Heineken, you don't, you don't think of, you don't associate Bond with Heineken beer, Yeah. but they paid $45 million to be in there. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Domino's and Pizza Hut are oh, throughout. no. Um, that's why we love pizza, right? Because of TMNT. <laughs> I have to say though, growing up, 
no pizza, especially cartoon pizza, looked better. I know. The, the, the way the it's cheese dripping went down. Drip. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful, beautiful pizza. And the kind that you can just throw in your mouth in one gulp. Um, we, we talked about this during the Cast Away episode, but Wilson's, away, yeah. Wilson's Sporting Goods mm-hmm. also. Um, Reese's Pieces in E.T. That's the of one course. example that to me, I kind of like, you know, I never go to the store and buy Reese's Pieces. Never. No, I like them in ice cream, but I, but, I, I wouldn't eat them standalone. But if you watch E.T., you're kind of like, yeah, why don't I ever eat, eat Reese's Pieces? Those are pretty good. Delicious. I mean, are they as good as They're Werther's Originals? Good. Probably not. Yeah, Werther's but... kind of old man candy, <laughs> as the gif proves that you shared on Twitter. Um, Nokia phones in the Matrix, which seems kind of funny now because it's such like an old school phone. Yeah. But apparently at the time. That was the high tech. I bet you that hip. The Departed had a lot of cell phone mm product placement also because phones are kind of a weapon in that movie you Mm -hmm. know uh this one is like so obvious that you can't even you know you you might miss it but the lego movie yeah lego (laughs) um in 2015 pez was supposed to was announced there were going to be movies about pez candy but it Mm, didn't take all the articles i found were from 2015 no updates uh ray-bans glasses sunglasses aviator sunglasses went up Sales went up 40% in seven months after Top Gun. Wow. Um, also in Top Gun, the U.S. Navy had 20,000 new applicants, a 500% increase. It's crazy. And then uh, Barbasol, saving, Barbasol shaving cream from? Jurassic Park. Thank you. <laughs> so propaganda works. I guess we're so. saying. I, I think it does. <laughs> My question to you. So I actually there- have put Barbasol on a piece of pie because of Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so there's a lot of talk in this movie about the lifespan of wine, how the flavor changes until it peaks, you said, and then there's a decline. Specifically, Miles has an ultra rare bottle, a 1961 Chateau Blanc from his past marriage. Mm-hmm. And he says that he's been saving it for a special occasion. And Virginia Madsen tells him the day you open a 61 Chateau Blanc, that's it the occasion. an occasion. I love that. Yeah, that's good My question to you is there's obviously a lot of parallels between wine and people, specifically Pinot and Miles. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the movie is trying to say about when and if people peak? Well, it's interesting you say that because one of the when I was looking for that clip uh, to rewatch about um their, you know, wine aficionado moment, mm-hmm. somebody made the comment that he Paul Giamatti's character doesn't even realize that he's talking about himself in all I think that, he realized all that it. discussion of Pino. It could be, yeah. But I didn't I didn't I didn't necessarily draw that direct of a connection with that. Uh, they they seem like they're certainly talking to each other through talking about wine, which again, the subtext is partly why the writing is so good there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I would say that he, may, maybe it's sort of a hopeful sentiment that um, you don't have to think that your best days are behind you all the time. There's still something, you know, that you can do now. I mean, Paul Giamatti's character can write another novel, theoretically. Yeah. Um, and maybe it would be better than the last one. Maybe. Maybe it could be three boxes. The one that was in two boxes. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that's such a good joke, too. I know. <laughs> I think the movie is a lot about potential and, and the idea of personal transformation and whether or not that's possible. And I, I think that these two characters, it's it's not that they're incapable of of transforming, but I think that they, they place their self-worth in the wrong places, you yeah. know, time and time and time again. And, you know, you look at Jack, he's kind of like, all instinct and Giamatti is all intellect. 
um, and they they have kind of different problems because of those approaches, but they still they still make the same mistakes, you know. So mm-hmm. it's almost like no matter if your approach is more physical or more mental, you're still wrong. I still think that Paul Giamatti is very physical, like when he starts running down the hill trying to guzzle wine. <laughs> it's a really funny scene. And they play it, they they, they shoot it like comedy. Yes. A, lo- know, a lot of this movie playing is... Playing from, they're long shots running down a sideway, you know, a very mm-hmm. steep hill, but it's very depressing what's happening. Yeah. He's like trying to get himself drunk to deal with his past, and he knows that it's self-destructive, and yet he doesn't know any other way to handle it. He's literally, he's just a straight-up alcoholic, and the other question, the other thought I had, um, you said uh, the quote that you just gave from Virginia Madsen's character, the day you open it is the special mm-hmm. occasion. But when does he open it? By himself. At a fast food restaurant. Sneaking it into a styrofoam cup under the table. Yep. That is not a special occasion for him. So she was completely wrong about that moment. No, I think that she... Uh, it I, I was think not a special occasion. It was not a special occasion, but that, I think, highlights why he's a failure. He's not a failure because his book doesn't get published. He's a failure because he doesn't try, because he steals money from his because mom, he's because he lies constantly, because he uses alcohol to self-medicate in mm-hmm. a certain way. Um, back to that moment when they're running down the hill. Mm-hmm. I think that, <laughs> that this movie plays with the idea of suicide in a very interesting way because Mm. it never directly confronts it it's always dancing around it you have a scene like that where you understand that this guy's at the end of his rope and when he says at one point um i'm not much of a writer i'm not much of anything i think that we are definitely supposed to think that this guy might kill himself and in a movie that's so full of comedy that's kind of a weird way Mm -hmm. to go about it but i like at the same time sort of in tandem with that idea that that possibility is always on the table is this other concept that people need people and they need to be cultivated just like wine does nurtured yes and and sort of closing yourself off to those possibilities always telling yourself that i'll only open this bottle of wine when my book gets published you're you're putting all of your eggs in that basket as if that's the only measure of success Mm -hmm. instead of saying why wouldn't I open this wine just over dinner with Virginia Madsen? That's enough. And then that could be a very special occasion. You so, should have done that. Yes. So I think that her <laughs> approach is right to be grateful for those types of things. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, you have to be open to those types of things and not just say, this thing's going to peak, so I'm just going to drink it now before I kill myself. <laughs> you had a fast food restaurant, dumping it in, mixing it with Coke or whatever. I have another question. <clears throat> yeah. Does, did you, where you have this experience like I did, where most of the movie you're in Paul Giamatti's point of view mm-hmm. and you keep thinking that Thomas Hayden Church is just getting rottener and rottener. He's just like worse of a person. And you, then you remember like, oh yeah, wait a minute. Paul Giamatti stole money from his mom. Yeah. Like it's it's really interesting how that is set up. He seems like the victim a lot of the a lot of the situation. He's in the awkward awkward you know in the living in the family room while um, Thomas Hayden Church is having his you know affair in the back room. So that's a really awkward situation for him and Virginia Madsen. He's the one who is like sort of in this lie with his book because of Thomas Hayden Church's you know. Uh, bragging about it and it's his his uh former wife that's you know moving on and yet he's far from 
a perfect guy either. I mean, stealing the, the all that cash from his mom. The night before her birthday. How rotten is that? <laughs> how horrible is that? Yeah. Is that is that any better than anything Thomas Hayden Church is doing? Maybe somewhat, but but it's pretty bad. And it's pretty bad. We find out in a in a very surprising sort of passing moment that he lost his wife because he cheated on her. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as simple as, you know, she just left and now I'm a sad guy. He brought that on himself. So mm-hmm. this whole thing of him being a victim, yes, but not really. Because So what are we supposed to think? Where are, are where are, are we is he is is Alexander Payne kind of telling us that we shouldn't be as sympathetic for these for these people or that it's okay to be sympathetic for all these people despite maybe even because of all the self-inflicted wounds. Yeah, I, I see enough humanity in them yeah. to where I, I think that they can be redeemed. I do feel sympathy for them on a certain level, but at the same time, I do want to sort of kick Paul Giamatti yeah. and say, all stop feeling so sorry for yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and they both have these problems where, you know, Jack is cheating on his fiance and that turns into like this relationship that he convinces himself is bigger than it is just because he's afraid of being married. But his fear and Paul Giamatti's fear are no different because they're both afraid to get hurt. They're afraid to take chances. They're afraid to be honest. And that's why, you know, they're in the positions that they are now. And that's why they feel like such, that's why they've peaked, Brian. (laughs) The tone of the movie is masterful. Yeah. Because Alexander Payne is not judging the characters. He's showing them being horrible people, but it's always also with sympathy. And that, that's a very fine line to walk. And a lot of movies want to cast a lot of judgment, but this kind of allows the, the reader, the, 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 uh, the viewer to be, to be the judge and judge how you will. Um, but, and recognize, they, they recognize how bad they're being too. I mean, they're critical yeah. of each other. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, it doesn't get a whole lot worse than the uh, the moment of Thomas Hayden Church purposely totaling Paul Giamatti's car. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for what? To cover up his own yeah love affair and broken nose for his fiance. When Paul Giamatti, what does he get out of that? He gets a busted up car. Yeah. Nothing. And yet, yet their friendship is not compromised whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Is there something good about that? Maybe there is. Yeah, and I think that maybe <laughs> is the biggest achievement of the movie because if anything, Alexander Payne gives us way more reasons to dislike these people than to like them. Yes. <laughs> and even the moments that are kind of redeeming between the women, we see in montage, you know, like they're yeah. having a nice picnic, they're laughing. We don't even hear what they're saying because it's just music's playing in the background and mm-hmm. now we're moving on to something else. But somehow that is kind of enough for us to say, yeah, I mean, I, I still, I still kind of like them. I like spending yeah. time with them, even though I recognize that um, I wouldn't want to be friends with them. But no. I, I like watching them it's on like, screen. It's like watching Seinfeld. I would like to be friends with them. No, yeah, they, no. I'd be laughing all the time. Come on, it's a laugh <laughs> right. But also, um, what do you think about about Thomas Aiden Church and Giamatti's friendship in this? Because at first, I, I was a little. I was asking myself, why are they friends? It makes no yeah. sense. I think because they were friends in college, yes. it makes a big, big difference. Yeah, and I think that that kind of contributes to something that this movie is saying about falling into patterns and habits yep. and lifestyles. And randomly, they were dorm mates. And then, you know, he, Paul Giamatti was a little happier then. And maybe mm-hmm. that dynamic I was talking about before about Jack sort of pushing him, mm-hmm. Jack kind of, I mean, uh, Miles sort of holding Jack back in a way that balance each other out. It made sense. But now it's decades later and it's kind of like, 
I've known you the longest, man. Like you're you're my best friend now. You're gonna be the best best man at my wedding. Even though if they met today, there's no chance they'd be friends. It's sort of like siblings. You know, you're put together in the same family, <laughs> yeah. and you didn't choose to be you know brothers with somebody, but just because of that bond, you you know you would never betray them. Although these guys betray each other a lot. Yeah. I mean, but. I would, I would run my brother's car into a tree without thinking twice, but nothing bigger than that. Though. Hopefully he's not listening to this episode. Um, should we go to what might've been? Yeah, let's move on. Okay. I just have three, three things here. Okay. George Clooney wanted to play the role of Jack Cole, who's Thomas Hayden church. Hmm, George nah. Clooney. Why not? No, I, I I think that these two guys are born for these roles. <laughs> I love them both. In, in, Wings. I just think that, prepared Thomas Hayden Church for this movie. And I, well, yeah, Wings, we we sort of know him from Wings, but mm-hmm. I also like the fact that these are not faces. You know, at the time, Paul Giamatti yeah. was in American Splendor. People knew who he was at the time, but he wasn't a face. Rising star, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I mean, yeah, from American Splendor on. Yeah. But to have George Clooney, I think it gives that character sort of, we, we would trust him a little bit too much. <laughs> we would probably like him a little bit too much. Alexander Payne said that he, he didn't want George Clooney there because... Um, he didn't think anyone would believe that, quote, the most handsome and successful movie actor is the most loser TV actor, unquote. Or friends with Paul Again. Giamatti in, in this movie. <laughs> Again, it's interesting how a, a, an actor's previous work affects what kind of roles can happen. That, it's such a fascinating dynamic. To me. Mm-hmm. And I love Thomas Hayden Church, how he has that one part in his past where he was on a soap opera or something. Yeah. And he's kind of, kind of clinging to that. And, and ever since he's just been doing he's commercials. Reciting the commercial lines. Yeah. That's hilarious. But another sort of small writing moment that I love is he's telling Miles about, you know, my, my soon to be father-in-law is telling me about this business and he might bring Real me estate, in yeah. and Miles says, Oh, so you're going to give up acting to do that. And he's like, no, no, just rash. I can still fit in, you know, mm-hmm. auditions and commercials. And it's just, it's kind of those little steps that we take to kind of, um, accepting what our life is going to be mm-hmm. without just saying, I'm not going to be an actor. It's not going to happen. But whose lives turn out to be the fulfillment of their dreams in the way that these guys want you know for their careers like yeah. he wants to be you know avant-garde author writing a you know thousand page and he won't be happy yeah. until he does and thomas hayden church has accepted that he's basically you know he's basically done or he's commercials are the best he can do mm-hmm. um but it, it's just interesting that if those guys are are losers i mean that's how the whole world is no no one People don't become George Clooney. Yeah, you know. But again, I think that that that's why they're losers because they let the, they let the fact that <laughs> they haven't losers. that they haven't achieved that level of success bring them down, and they feel like the only path to being happy is me publishing this, you know, twelve hundred word book. Mm-hmm. Matt Dillon was considered for the role of Jack Cole as well. Hmm. Is, he, is he losery enough? I could see that more than Clooney. <laughs> Because he's he's a higher on the loser lo- loser scale. He's but, funnier, I, I yeah. think. Yeah. Wait, wait till we get to Crash. Yeah, he's not so. He's funny hilarious there. in Crash. Uh, no, I don't know about that. Um, You're canceled. <laughs> <laughs> Miles um, was possibly going to be played by Robert Downey Jr. No way, no <laughs> way. Two two get movie stars. Two everything. <laughs> two Tony Starkish. Yeah, he's too quippy. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine him just drinking too much wine and yep. kind of saying bad stuff? <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> trivia. <clears throat> this is really just a little story of how this movie came to be. Um, it, it was based on a novel. Um, and let's talk about the, the author, Rex Pickett. 
1998, Rex Pickett wrote the screenplay for a short called My Mother Dreams the Satan's Disciples in New York. Hmm. Pretty good title. Okay. It went on to win the Academy Award for Best Live Action Short in 1999. Wow. Yeah. He then wrote the novel Sideways. It was the second novel. First one never went anywhere. So Sideways got... Um, he And he had an agent at this point. So the agent is sending out these letters and he got 18 rejections. So the, the agent pulls it from submission. A year later, it got passed to Alexander Payne personally. And he immediately optioned it for a movie. It hadn't been turned into a, it hadn't been published as a novel. He immediately optioned it for a movie before, uh, yeah, before it had been accepted. Then the movie was put on hold because Alexander Payne was going to make about Schmidt. 2002, mm-hmm. uh, Jack Nicholson. Then um, Rex Pickett's new agent tried again to get the novel published, and it was rejected a hundred times. Whoa. And he finally settled, basically, to get it published for $5,000 <laughs> um, four months before the movie came out. And he went on to write two more novels in a trilogy, um, but that hasn't, it hasn't like necessarily taken off I don't think he's written any other novels. I could be wrong on that. We'll have to look that up and we'll correct it in the comments or something. But those are the only novels that I saw on his, on his Wikipedia page. So interesting career. Yeah, that's crazy. And $5,000. For the, for the first novel, yeah. So how does, I mean, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you know if this is going to go off on a tangent, but if you sell your book for 5000 and then that book gets picked up for yeah. a movie, does the publishing company just get that money or no, does he get anything for that? It totally depends on the deal, but usually you have your own rights to sell it as a, as a, oh, movie, something as a movie or a book. Okay. Yeah. And in 2019, it was announced that Sideways was scheduled to be adapted for a Broadway musical because anything can be a Broadway musical, right? I guess so. Yeah. All right. Keep it or kick it. Oh, it's, it's a strong keep, Brian. Mm. It's a strong keep. I boot I, down. <laughs> I love... <laughs> Um, so much about this movie. I love the world of it. I love the script. I love the performances. I really like Alexander Payne from this point earlier in his career. Mm. You know, like I I haven't seen downsizing. I still haven't seen election yet. Election's great. About Schmidt is great. But Mm. I think that this is kind of the best of the, of that bunch. Um, I feel like election does that thing that you mentioned earlier, where it sort of makes fun of its characters a little bit, makes Mm -hmm. them so unself-aware that it's kind of hard to sympathize with them. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie does not do that at all. And I just love living in the world of it. And even though the characters are sort of exaggerated, I just see something real in them that makes me uh, empathize and just want to spend more time around them, even though I disagree with like every single decision they make throughout. A movie to take with you to the desert island if you had to pick five movies from 04. Yeah, I think so. You would, you would rewatch this movie. I definitely think so. I, when, it, when it was over, I was physically excited. And not because <laughs> it was over, but because like I was just so, I, I was so charged up by yeah. it. And I remember having that feeling back in 2004 and 2005 when I saw this. Mm-hmm. And I love when I revisit these movies from back then. And they're still good. Yes. It's, it's I like, realized you weren't so dumb back then after all. <laughs> it's just good to see it hold up. <laughs> How about you? I also will have my boot down. And I that will, means I that will you're keep the movie. keeping it. Yeah. Okay. Kick it means you kicked it up. You know, boot goes up when you yeah, kick it. It's impossibly complicated, that <laughs> analogy. I'll never understand it. <laughs> um, the pathos of Giamatti's character is great. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. Thomas Hayden Church's character also works really well, partly because of this one moment. 
at the end, after he's made all of his horrible decisions and he continues his lies, he's had two affairs in a week when he's supposed to be going to, you know, get married. And he, but then when he says, I can't lose her about his fiance, I totally bought that moment. And you realize how complicated, you know, his emotions are. And it helped the movie quite a bit for me because if he would have just like <clears throat> stayed as like a really big jerk and had basically been discarding all these women left and right, um, it would have made him a little bit probably too hard to to like. Um, but even so, even the most morally empty person in the end does have a heart. And I think that's what the movie is basically celebrating some human striving, imperfect, but striving people. But at the same time, mm -hmm. I will say, I love the ambiguity here that yes, maybe he does have a heart underneath all of the baggage and- It's gonna be a perfect defense. marriage. I mean, it's gonna be great. <laughs> but maybe his decision is 75% is fueled by fear because yeah. he does say, I'm nothing without her, I can't lose her. Yeah. So it's almost like, Yes, he probably does love her on some level. He doesn't want to lose that relationship. But also, if he does, he's like, what? A 45-year-old guy know. with not a whole he's lot going up. for him? He's doing. Where do, where do you go from there? He's reading the, uh, the fine print on medical commercials. It's you know? scary. And then maybe he sees himself as Paul Giamatti. You know, I can't be that guy. That sort of thing. <laughs> yep. All right. In the next episode, we talk about Finding Neverland. Johnny Depp's masterwork. <laughs> masterwork? And have Kate you seen Winslet, it recently? No, I have not. I'm just trying to, you know, talk it up. <laughs> okay. Um, Kate Winslet also is nominated, wasn't she? No, maybe not. I'm trying to see that now. I don't know, but I am. Yeah, she was. I no, am, no. She was nominated for Eternal Sunshine in the same year. Yes. I am glad that she's in this in because I will say <laughs> I've seen this movie before. I don't remember disliking it, but it's, it's another that I'm kind of... A little bit dreading. I am not looking forward to watching this. I'm assuming I'm going to kick it, but I am going, I haven't, it's been a long time. I don't even know if I saw the whole thing. I might've fallen yeah, asleep. I couldn't tell you what it's about, but we want to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> How good is Sideways? It's definitely a top five of the year, right? Let us know and we will read your answers on the show. You can find us at bestpicturethis.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Best Picture This. And for 15 years of golden takes, head over to Letterboxd where you'll find me, Mike Cavalieri. Well, you say it's obviously top five. Roger Ebert would have kicked it. It's a top five. Yeah, it was number eight. What What did he put above it? Unless Team remember. America look, is above look, it, <laughs> then I'm gonna I'm gonna contest. I will look at those okay. for next time to support this show and help select a movie for a bonus episode. Visit Patreon.com/slash Best Picture This. Thanks to WNZF and to our illustrious producer Mark Illiland for producing. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen. To conclude. We'd like to know if this episode ages well. So for all the listeners in 2050, if you could send us an email, let us know how well it aged. We'd appreciate <laughs> the that. The day you listen to Best Picture This, that's the occasion. <laughs> <laughs>